0: Hello everyone, welcome back to the Early Education Show. We're up to episode thirty-four. It's great to be back with you. Uh, We've—I thought we might uh, do a little quick introduction of ourselves again this week. We think over the last few weeks we might have had a few more listeners based on some of the listening stats. So my name's Liam Bick Nicholas, and I'm an early childhood teacher and work in operations for a Canberra-based community organisation. And I'm joined tonight by Lisa Bryant, who's an advocate, writer, and consultant. Hi, Lisa. Hi Liam, and I'm also joined by Leanne Gibbs, who's a leadership and policy expert. Hi Leanne. Hello Liam. Do we all sound very professional and organised as like or we list done? Um...
1: I like the way you say I'm joined tonight, as if you know we're one night rings or something. <laughs>
2: That's hopeful, Lisa. He's hopeful.
1: He's <laughs> looking on my board.
0: That's all right. The offer be. That's all right. We can always find. I've been the offer to spin this off into a Doctor Who podcast is still out there for anyone who's interested. I made that offer last year. <laughs> I'm just hoping it'll springboard into that. It still hasn't mm-hmm. happened. So we've got another.
2: I, I do think that we are we are here though, Lisa, at Liam's pleasure because he's the one that looks after all of the background and all of the tech stuff, and we do just kind of you know, we do just join him in a way.
0: You bring the fantastic yeah, hot takes, okay. which is what you're here for. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got uh, pretty another good, great episode all lined up uh, for this week. We're going to have an interview with Sarah Mitchell, who's the New South Wales uh, Minister for Early Childhood. So we uh, there's some fantastic stuff there that Leanne conducted um, earlier on. So we've got that to look forward to but before we get to that we'll do what we normally do which is sort of run through some of the news articles from the last little while and i guess we wanted to start this week with a congratulations to someone in the sector so many of you may know Gwynne bridge who's been uh, you know a very well known figure in early childhood in australia for quite a long time uh, she was formerly the uh, president of the australian childcare Alliance, and in the most recent Queen's Birthday Honours, she's been awarded an AM, which is, is – that, is that an Australia Medal? I'm not good with the honours. Is that – is yeah, not the yeah, Order I think, of Australia? I think
2: it's officially called – of no. Member of Australia.
0: Member of Australia.
2: Oh, I thought it was a Medal of Australia.
0: Yeah, yeah and, and that's no, been awarded sh- for I'm... significant service to the community through leadership in the early childhood care and education sector. So I think on behalf of the early education show, I think we wanted to pass on our – Congratulations to Gwyn. That's a you know a very um, a pretty prestigious award for anyone to receive, and it's great to see the early childhood education sector I guess acknowledged through Gwyn there. So congratulations to Gwyn. Yeah, um, it's
2: wonderful. There's ne- never enough of them, is there? So that's that's fantastic.
1: It is members. I just checked just a, a yeah. update on um, live Google the, checking or, um, the orders in Australia. You have. Companions, which are the highest ones, then you have officers, members, medals, meritorious, and military. Oh. And so she's a member. That's so pretty she, Green gets to put AM at the end of her name then. <sighs> yeah. It's
0: so yeah. exciting. I
1: think Tony Goddard from New South Wales is an AO, isn't she? She's an officer. I, I, I think, think
2: she's an AM as well.
1: I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna find
2: out. I'm gonna find that out before we finish
0: tonight. <laughs> um I, okay. just want, I wanted to make the point here and not to get too sort of too mushy because we don't do that on this show, but. Um Lisa and I, and I know you, we, but I think you, Leanne, you may as well. We all sort of tweeted our congratulations individually to Gwyn. I had someone who was, I think, sort of offline who was quite surprised at that, given, you know, Gwynne's been a fairly strident advocate for uh, for profit early childhood education and Marcus Bates' approaches. And uh, and um, things we one of the things we're not necessarily fantastic in the sector at is um, supporting each other. We you know, I, I would imagine Gwyn and I and probably Gwyn and all of us would have some pretty significant dis- disagreements about the early childhood education sector, but that does not uh, alter the fact that Gwyn has you know been a been a leader in the sector for a very very long time and has uh, I'm entirely sure. You know, have, have come at it from the perspective of uh, what's best, for, what she feels is best for the sector and the best for children. So I don't take that away from her at all, and it's just great. You know, for, it's a fantastic personal achievement from her. Whether you know we are we're, we're we're agreeing on every single aspect of the early childhood policy debate. So just wanted to make that.
2: Yeah, point. Yeah, I I I agree with that, Liam, and I think um I didn't I didn't tweet because I'm just notoriously bad, but. At it, but um, I can't even remember my my address. But I think um, it's a great point. Is we do. I, I think the things that I think the things that we <laughs> talk about are principle based. They're not yeah. about particular people. And Gwyn's been a great advocate for children um, with regard to what children's rights and children's interests as well. It's just the the other element, which is the principle that we don't necessarily agree with around the the for profit ethics. So. Um, I completely agree, and I agree. I think we need to uplift our our peeps when they do fantastic stuff, and have things have things done to them as well. For sure,
1: and, and, and I just got ch- an AM, checked, and so. she is an AM. Yeah, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all the hot news breaking as it happens. Now we're going to tell you which 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 yeah, uh, salutation she- people have live. <laughs> But, look, it's interesting
1: that, you know, like once again there was an uproar about why so few women um, uh, are awarded in Australia compared to men. And, you know, I think it's like there's a few reasons why there's so few women in the early childhood sector that have been done. Um, But one of them is certainly, you know, the complications of actually... Uh, nominating someone, it's such a lengthy and, and involved process to get someone, you know, but there are a number of people in our sector that I think, you know, in terms of what they've done for the sector and what they've done for um, for children who really should be awarded... And so I'd like to challenge everyone listening this to think about those people, you know, the heads of organisations, etc., that should be awarded, and maybe consider nominating them.
2: Yeah, in we the should get cracking. I think that's a great idea.
0: Yeah, well, after our audio sub- after our audio consultation submission last week, do you reckon they'll let us put in an mm-hmm. audio nomination?
1: Maybe not.
0: <laughs> oh, that's a shame. Um. Yes, we should probably also say that as this episode is released on the Friday, we're recording this on Wednesday night, but the that's the final day for submissions to Kate no. Ellis' consultation into early childhood reform. So if you haven't had a chance to, A, listen to uh, the episode before this, which is episode 33, which is our audio submission, I'd really recommend going back and listening to that. But also... Get in with your own submissions, people. We had some good feedback on our Facebook and Twitter pages um, saying that people had sort of listened to the episode and that it encouraged them to put in a submission, which um, really uh, cheered my heart. The more early childhood people engaging in these processes, the happier I am. So, uh, yes. And you so. don't
1: have to answer all 26 questions. You can just say the three that really bug you or yeah. that you've got great ideas about.
0: Yeah. yeah. And I might and I very, very rarely do this. In fact, this might even be the first time I do this, but I might even just put in a plug for my own organization submissions. We released ours on Wednesday. It was uh, very pretty. Oh, I
1: I really yeah. liked it. I liked I tra- your memes.
0: I tried to I, <laughs> you've always got to have well, yeah, oh, good that was See great. The, the submission is the easy part to write. It's the social media engagement after it that's the tricky part. But um you can <laughs> you'll be able to find that on, you know, the early childhood. Uh, the early education show Twitter page. Um, I think I retweeted it, but if you head to northside.asn.au and go to about us and publications and statements, uh, it's in there. So um, I was pretty proud of Northside's uh, pretty strong stance on uh, the right of children to access early childhood education and care. So yes, very very brief plug. But we'll move on now to well, uh, the no. next. No, thank you. The next story we're going to tackle. Um, and I can't remember which Lisa or Leanne, which one of us wanted, which one of you wanted to bring this one. This is about a funding boost for early learning.
2: Yeah, I don't think I put anything up there this week, Leanne, so I think you better go straight to Lisa.
1: Okay. Well, look, this is the... um, You can do the last one, Leanne. I'll do this one. So you read up about the last one before we go ahead. (laughs) Um, (laughs) This is... So um, professional. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we have these things organised in advance. This is the... um, was the announcement, and it got very little media coverage Um, I'd hasten to say because um, New South Wales media are sick of um, announcements about more funding for preschools in New South Wales that don't actually amount to anything. But, yeah, it did get little media... Coverage, But the New South Wales government has um, announced that it will put an extra $217 million into the Start Strong program um, to extend it to 2021. Now, that's quite good news for New South Wales preschools because they were looking at this program that has just been initiated, finishing next year because that's when the federal funds run out. So, the New South Wales government has decided to back it with its own money. Of course, it would be a bit better if that two hundred and seventeen million went even say, you know, three quarters of the way of the underspend that the New South Wales government has spent on their own early education budget in the last few years. But you know, we can't expect everything. So you know, two hundred and seventeen million,
0: we'll take it.
2: Yes, any money is good money.
1: Yes,
0: absolutely. I'm not going to turn it down.
1: Did that make sense? Yes.
0: Well, as yeah, much as yes. as much as anything yes. in New South Wales makes sense, Lisa.
1: <laughs> so look to to just to to make it a, a little bit clearer. New South Wales every year announces in their budget that this is how much they're going to spend. Then they never spend that much. So they haven't spent about three hundred and fifty million, I think it is, over the last few years. So the two hundred and seventeen million that they've announced as new money is in fact less than what they haven't spent that they've said it's they rec- would It's
2: recycled money. Best way of having money, I reckon. <laughs>
1: and
2: and. Yes, that's right. You don't have to spend it now and you don't ever have to spend it again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right. Now, Leanne, I'm assuming in the last two minutes you become an expert yeah. on this news item. So <laughs> well, go for it. Well, it's funny
2: because I, I, did, I was familiar um, with this item written by Natasha bitter Um, about childcare centres offer parents gift card incentives to switch from rival businesses. But I I know that I was just laughing so hard when I read this um, newspaper article. That's why I I had kind of forgotten about it because it's it's all about... Daycare providers poaching clients in a fight for toddlers, and they're giving gift cards. I know there's all sorts of things that are being given out free iPads, free, free whatever, a couple of free weeks of um, of childcare because there are so many services uh, that have, there's an oversupply in some areas, undersupply still in others. But the reason this one had me laughing hard was because um, ACA New South Wales President Lynn Connolly said we cannot be left to market forces. And I think... (laughs) All All righty then. That's interesting. (laughs) And and there's a strong push within this um, from uh, ACA New South Wales to to really just crack down on the the planning um, and make sure that there was not uh, too many services because that would actually limit the uh, profit for, the, for these particular providers that Lynn Connolly is alluding to. So, um, I thought it was interesting that a, a for-profit was saying that they just did not want it to be left to
1: market forces because I actually thought that's what it was all about. No, I don't think they've ever really wanted it to be about market forces. They've wanted it to be about them making money. It's a different <laughs> Is there not something, there,
2: aren't there some sort of fair trading laws that disallow something? <laughs> Moral <like> amongst thieves.
0: <laughs> <foods? laughs> <laughs> oh my
2: goodness, a, a cake shop, a baker's delight is opening up next to a cake shop. <laughs> let's get the council
1: and let, sorry, let's get the state <laughs> planning laws to stop that happening.
0: Well, the, I'm having tr- trouble wrapping well, yeah, my head around you joke that you about
1: it, but that actually is really, really important because I know that both um, ACI and Community Child Care Cooperative are both arguing that, you know, there needs to be protection from these poor centres that, you know, um, uh, that are being done in by competition. But I think that what we need to look at is who's being done in by competition because we're seeing more and more that services that are are rated low are the ones that have bad occupancy. Like if we look at g eight centres at the moment, they're apparently you know um trailing with about seventy percent occupancy. And they're Mm -hmm. coincidentally the ones that are rating really badly, working towards, um, you know, the majority of the services are are hitting that working towards rating level. So I think it's kind of like people voting with their feet and going towards the quality centres. And um, I tweeted this a few weeks ago, but I went to a service recently, a good community-based service that had 550 families on the waiting list. You don't get those sorts of numbers if there's, you know, an oversupply. You get those sorts of numbers because you're providing something that people want. So maybe yeah, the best I, I, way for these services to fight the oversupply is by improving their quantity, quality. And the the problem is that there are new
2: children being born every day that need that need childcare. And inevitably, that's the, their entry point to the market, so to speak, because
0: mm-hmm.
2: because that's what's available.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: So, yes.
0: Yeah. I don't know. You crazy New South Wales people.
1: I know. It's all about New South Wales tonight, isn't it? Well,
0: yeah. well
1: hang on. What, what was that thing about two new services are being built, uh, being, have just been approved in Canberra? Haven't you got a legitimate oversupply in Canberra? Or? Well, we do. We probably and don't have time to go into the. Um,
0: no, well, it's, we did
1: about that one night, didn't
0: we? We did, and we could we could look at a whole episode on it. But I think it's there. There is a genuine oversupply, but that's but the the region's so much smaller that it's there's less pockets. So there's, there are pockets of um, where there probably needs to be a centre, and all the new centres are going in sort of new development areas. But yeah, there is a pretty significant pro, uh, problem with oversupply and. Um, you know, a lack of sort of planning around what this is going to look like in the future, but probably save for another discussion because it's uh, that's most of my job is stressing about that at the moment. Um, okay. But we won't make you re-stress. <laughs> at least not without preparation. I'd be happy to, to tackle it on okay. an episode. So uh, there wasn't a huge amount of news over the last week, so that's it for sort of the, the major news stories uh, this week. We'll have some more for you next next episode, but um, we'll have links to all of those stories we've mentioned uh, in the show notes and on our earlyeducationshow.com website. But we're going to yeah. cross over now to an interview with uh, New South Wales Minister for Early Childhood, Sarah Mitchell, that Leanne conducted. Leanne, do you want to give us a, a, a little bit of background on this interview?
2: Um, yes, well, the minister was very kindly um, uh, allowed the Early Education Show to interview her and... Uh, I went off and and did that last week. Now, unfortunately, it was just before the Start Strong announcement, and she alludes to that within the, um, well, the the new announcement, and she alludes to that in the interview. Um, I found the minister charming and very, very interested in early childhood education, which is um, great because she is the minister for it. But she also had um, fantastic experience on a... community managed multi-purpose service so she's got I think what we don't we call that skin in the game (laughs) Um, and yeah but just with that that sort of um, that warning that this was um, the interview was done before that announcement was made but most importantly if you go listen right to the end because she does talk about how you can contribute to the policy debate in New South Wales
0: Wonderful. So bear with us. We'll be back in just a second with Leanne's interview with Sarah Mitchell.
2: Okay, so I'm fortunate enough to be sitting down today and talking with the um, Early Childhood Education Minister, also the Minister for Aboriginal Affairs and the Assistant Minister for Education, Sarah Mitchell. Um, that sounds like a very large por- set of yeah. portfolios yeah. that you have. Mm-hmm. Thanks very much for taking the time to My speak favour. with the Early Education Show today. and I'll have a few questions to um, lead into shortly, but what uh, I guess what we'd, we'd love to know is a little bit of your background on your path into politics mm-hmm. and um how you got here? I did notice that you were elected a couple of weeks before you got married. Most mm-hmm. people are concentrating on their weddings yep. when they're at that <laughs> stage, but you're obviously concentrating on being elected, so well done for not <laughs> having the entire focus on on um, your wedding, mm-hmm. as it can be. But um, yeah, just interested in your background, your path into politics.
3: Yeah, so I'm um, I'm from Gunnedah, north-west New South Wales, country girl born and bred, and um, I, I don't think I ever thought I would be a politician or a minister. It was never something that um, I had even considered, I suppose, and I guess you don't when you grow up in a country town and it seems something that's so far away and abstract from what you do. But I, um, I guess for me, looking back to, I suppose at school I was always really involved, I was school captain and did different things at Gunnedah High, very proud product of public education. Um, but my, my careers advisor at Gunnar High actually was the first one that said to me, you should think about a career in politics. And I just laughed at him because I thought there's just no way I would ever want to do that. And I still run into him at the supermarket in Gunnarow from time to time. And he always says, I told you <laughs> then many years ago that you'd be good at that. Um, and so I just, for me, it sort of started when I came down to uni. So I came to University of New South Wales and I started to do a science and arts degree. Uh, and the honest truth is in first year uni I had to fill an arts subject and I was having a pretty heavy load in science and I wanted something that I didn't think was too challenging and I had a friend who was older than me who had done Introduction to Australian Politics and. She said, oh, it's a pretty easy course if you read the papers and keep up with what's in the news and there's no exam, and I thought, excellent, I'm going to do that. Um, So I did that class and just loved it and ended up changing my whole degree, dropped the science because I was terrible at it. I I wish I was better than I was, but it wasn't for me in the end, uh, and did my degree in politics and international relations. And then from that, I was lucky that John Anderson, who was a former deputy prime minister, was also the local member and had an office in Gunnada and I knew someone that worked for him. Uh, and said can I do work experience so that was sort of I think second or third year uni which turned into working for him uh, based out of Gunnedah and then when he retired I worked for Mark Colton who's the member for parts his electorate goes from the Queensland border down to Dubbo out to Broken Hill so big parts of western New South Wales and very regional and communities that I knew so um, I did that and and just got involved in the nationals and you know a few people said you should put your hand up and I liked the idea of running for the upper house I like that I don't have the boundaries of a specific electorate, a lot of the things that we do and the issues that we talk about are statewide, um, which appeal to me. And I also thought being a younger woman was good and good for the Nats and you know, I was 28 when I was elected to Parliament, which is pretty young, and I think I'm the youngest ever female in the upper house in New South Wales, so that's pretty cool, but um, it just was something that sort of, I guess, fell into place and I just love it. I've had six years in Parliament now and I've been able to do some great things and to now be a minister for portfolios that I just love. I yeah, I feel very, very lucky career-wise in what I've been able to to do.
2: It's fantastic. And um, in terms of the Nats, I mean, mm-hmm. obviously there's that kind of natural affiliation because you're from Gunadhar. And but what are the other kind of values that drive the Nats that that draws you to? to yeah. them as well. Well
3: for me it was more about you know I think there's a, a real notion that we're a farmer's party and look traditionally we, we have been and agriculture is a big part of our communities that we represent but you know I'm not from my parents are small business owners I'm not from a farm I've, I've never sort of had that background I don't own RM Williams boots so I don't know if I'm technically allowed to be in that because I don't <laughs> own them but um, for me it was just about you know I love living in Gunnedah I love country towns and the community and The reason why I wanted to be involved in our party was that it's just about trying... You know, things are always going to be a bit different if you live in the country as opposed to the city, and that's okay. but I think you need politicians that understand the different needs when it comes to health and education and transport and and what that tyranny of distance can mean, but also that you've got great regional communities that need to be supported. So, like, I have a pretty broad philosophy in what I do here. I think if what we're doing is good for the regions, then I'm, I'm supportive of it, and I think we need to just have real people in Parliament who, you know, understand what it's like to, to raise a family and live in a country town and want the best for your kids. That's sort of my my life view and that's what I try and bring to politics as well.
2: OK, and so that, um, you said that you're in portfolios that you, you love as yeah. well and that you have an interest in. Did yeah. you have... Um, I guess much of a focus on early childhood before coming into the role.
3: Yeah, look, I've always been interested, and I have a three-year-old daughter as well. So, for my husband and I, you know, I used to be on the committee for her her daycare centre, which actually is oh yeah, awesome you. I was <laughs> awesome, the family the parent rep. I had to step down reluctantly when I became the minister, but. Um, so I was on that for a couple of years, and it's actually a service in Gunnara that has a long daycare, a family daycare, um, early childhood intervention, and also a supported play group. So I got the perspective, even then, just sort of as a parent rep on the volunteer committee, about how complicated a lot of the work that sec- the sector has to do in terms of regulations and funding and how it all, you know, marries together between what the state's responsible for and what the federal government does. But I guess for me, you know, our daughter's been at that service since she was six months old. She now goes one day a week to a community preschool as well. So for me, being the minister for a portfolio that's not something that's, you know, many years ago that I was dealing with, it's a very current lived experience for us and I like being able to bring that perspective. You know, when I talk to visit services and talk to parents or or educators or directors to understand what they're sort of going through and what parents want out of early childhood because that's what I want too. I think it's nice to to have that in this role. I think um, to understand the complexity
2: mm. is what you gave insight to there because it is so complex and to have had that many services that you've got an insight into is actually fantastic the best training really in terms of um gaining that insight which is wonderful and also as a user yeah as
3: well when you have a
2: a young child who's Mm. um going through so you've got the best background ever really (laughs) and
3: i I, I mean I, i i care about it and i see we certainly see with annabelle the benefits that she's had by having good quality early childhood in terms of her development is it's great and i think if i want that for my daughter that's what every parent in new south wales wants for their kids and i want to help deliver it and like I said, it's a pretty simple philosophy, but I think it it rings true. Yeah, and you you talked about that focus on the, the country,
2: obviously because you are from Gunadhar. Mm. Do you think there are particular problems to uh, for early childhood education in the in the rural and region, regional areas?
3: I think you know I think we're lucky in that, particularly in the more major regional centres and even the towns. You know, Gunadhar is a town of about ten thousand. So it's sort of an average population of a country community, you know, we've got really good services and we're lucky, but I also think the families that live in more remote areas that might live on properties, the value of, you know, say, the mobile-based services, I think, is really important because you've got to be able to take those services to families sometimes when it's difficult for them um, to come in and access it, and that's something that I'm really cognisant of as well. And also, too, um, around mobile services, we've we've talked about this before, and I've actually talked about it in the Parliament, but... I think the social aspect of what it does, not for the kids, but just for the kids, but for the parents as well, you know, if you're having a bit of a tough time and we've had droughts and natural disasters and things that come through communities, for everyone to be able to get together while the kids get to have their educational benefits of being at, say, a mobile service, for example, it also gives the parents a chance to chat and talk about what's going on and I think a lot gets picked up in a social sense by those services that maybe has been undervalued in the past, so... That's something that I'm really aware of and I and, you know, have, yeah. have made that pretty clear to the, the mobile providers that I've met that what they do, particularly in those more remote parts of the state, is actually really, really important on many levels.
2: And I think that translates to the city as well because it is that social support. Yep. It's the networks that are provided and mm. the early childhood education performs so much more of a, yeah. a a service within the community in addition to education for young children that it does sort of translates across to every every community. Yeah, know, in Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree That's with great. that. That's great. Yeah. That's fantastic. Um, and there's, there's plenty of uh, programs and new funding commitments that um, have been made recently. Everybody's trying to get their heads around those, there's mm-hmm. the things like the Start Strong and there's also the um, new capital expenditure which yep. is expanding, I think I read uh, that you said it's 500 places and some mm-hmm. support for Mavos which you've just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, so thinking about Start
3: Strong, the, mm-hmm. that program, how's that actually going at this stage? Yeah, look, the feedback I've had so far, so I've been the Minister for about four months now, and obviously it started under my predecessor, but generally it's been pretty good. Um, I've had some figures come through the office just a couple of days ago in terms of the take-up rate and the number of services that have been early adapters, and it's been sort of in the 90%, which is quite encouraging, and a little bit of you know disparity between some areas when you look at city and in a regional and more remote, but but overwhelmingly, it's been um, received well. And certainly, when I visit services, talking to particularly the directors, I guess, like a lot of um, community preschools have had to change their hours to try and fit in with that 15 hours a week. And I know that's been a challenge, but those that I've visited have done that quite well. Um, and I think the fee reduction that we've been able to put in with Start Strong for parents and families has made a bit of a difference too, you know. We've been at services where they've been able to offer days for as little as five dollars a day for, for kids who maybe from Aboriginal or low socioeconomic backgrounds, that means instead of coming one day they can now come two or three and, and the benefits that come with that. Um, and I think the other part being the capital that you mentioned, you know, we just had the most recent round of that so that was eight million dollars. To create an extra 500 places for the demand that is there, and that's worked well. And, and uh, there'll be more news coming on on further rounds of that funding very soon. So oh, can you give an insight uh, into that? I don't, I don't <laughs> know if I'm allowed to. I'll have I've got to be But it's it's coming very soon. Um, and let's just say it's been successful. So you know we we want to see it continue. And look, even with that program, we had many many more. Um, providers apply for funding then we were able to, to be able to approve so we know that the demand's there and we want to do what we can to help in that space.
2: Yeah well the population will increase yes, and so the, the population of four-year-olds and that is that is one of the, the issues around um, planning. Mm. What about um, how how do you think the New South Wales government will be financially supporting Early Ed, in addition to the dollars that actually come from the federal government through the Universal Access Money, is there additional mm. money that you can see will come early childhood's way?
3: Yeah, I mean, look, obviously we with start strong. There's money from us on that, and that's a a, um, a program that we're committed to, and we'll have the state budget coming in a couple of weeks as well. And again, I'm, I can't really go into detail about that at this point in time. You will, <laughs> I, yeah. Um, but you know, it's, it's pretty clear that that's something that we're committed to, and I guess too, you know, we talked earlier a little bit about the complexities of the system, you know, we solely fund the community preschool sector and obviously we're putting a bit more money through Start Strong into long daycare as well, so yeah. sort of topping up what the federal government makes available. So we're, we're committed to the sector and I think for me as Minister, it's important that we provide the support that, that's needed. So with regard to, I mean, obviously the universal access agreements
2: are only going to 2018. Yeah. What will be the story after that? Yeah,
3: well, I mean, they're the discussions that we need to have. I think, you know, we welcomed the decision by the federal government to continue it for another year, but we made it clear that it is only for another year. And I think the concern around that is that without continuity of funding and long-term planning, it makes it very difficult for services to know what's around the corner. And, you know, I think the broader discussions that we have around education funding, obviously, you know, at a federal state level now with Gonskin school funding, it's very topical. But you know, we've sort of made it clear from our perspective that we need to be having longer term conversations around early childhood funding as well because that sector is just as important, if not more important in some cases, in a child's development than as as is high school or primary school. So they're the views that I'm certainly making known to my other colleagues around the country.
2: That that's fabulous and I think the security stuff is a really it's a real challenge for services to Not be sure of what's actually on the head for them. It's hard to plan. Um, Very hard for them to plan. And I mean, in in that context that you're making that known, and I I was looking up some of your um, speeches and some of your responses to questions, (laughs) and and some of these things would actually make um, early childhood hearts sing because you've you've said that uh, we know the success of children's education on their last day of school is determined by their first day of Mm. school, and I I think that you're talking about early childhood education. It's vital that we listen to our communities right across the state and deliver on our commitment to provide every opportunity for children to access quality education no matter where they live. And it shouldn't matter where they live, whether they live in Parks or Penrith. I think you'd no. like to go with the alphabet because do. you're We've done that a few happy. times. Is that blame my office for <laughs> I that. I did that's that. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, early education... I think it was the A's were all yeah, somewhere did. else. Um, and Adam Inaby, I think. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's right. But you do say early education is the key to future success and I'm mm. determined to ensure that we make it easier for families in New South Wales to access these services. We know that children benefit socially, emotionally and cognitively from quality early childhood education, so this program has a real benefit for families and young children, which mm. is you know everything I think that early childhood educators and services mm. want to hear, but only three percent of the overall education budget is actually spent on early childhood education mm. and I think that you know that there's probably concern in the hearts of early childhood edu- mm. educators and, and education itself is when will that focus at, you're talking to your colleagues, mm. but when will that focus really come where there's money put behind the rhetoric that that we hear all the time about it being the most important years Mm. of children's life.
3: Well, you know, I think, like I said, we start strong in rolling that out. I think that's, you know, a good beginning for what we want to do. But I also think the fact that we've now got a separate Minister for Early Childhood in New South Wales, obviously Leslie Williams was my predecessor Mm. and she had that role for two years. So, you know, I, I certainly make it clear that while it has previously been part of education, if we've recognised enough that it actually deserves a separate portfolio because of the importance of it, then we need to be having discussions around the support that we do provide for the sector. Um, And, you know, I think... I just think also in terms of... When we're investing in children, you're investing in families. It's more than bricks and mortar. It's more than money. It's about making... You know, My role is to be an absolute champion for the sector, and that's what I do, and Mm. I take that very seriously. And it's also about, I guess, getting my other colleagues... And and not even just, you know... I, I actually think... Certainly Rob Stokes, who's the Education Minister, gets it and around the Cabinet table we have good discussions about... Um, you know, other, other Ministers would know how, how strongly I feel about it, the Deputy Premier, particularly the Premier, they understand the importance of it. But um, I guess it's just also about making sure in the wider community too that we have those discussions around early childhood education is not just a glorified form of babysitting, it's not just about work productivity, even though it's great if it helps parents go back to work, but it's also got to be about what's best for the child educationally. And I actually think, for me, um, as an advocate for the sector, it's got to be about changing the discussion at a community level about the role early childhood Mm -hmm. plays as well, because then I think you tend to see more results politically when that happens too. Well, as you say, as a parent, Mm. you're
2: seeing how important it is and that it's essential. I think part of what happens is that, families are not in early childhood education yeah. for a, a long time mm. but they're still champions for it when they go to school yeah. but the, that time has passed. So yeah. I think it's you're right, it has to be in the hearts of my, and minds of, of the whole community and seen as something that is, that is of real benefit. Do you mm. think we'll ever see a time where early childhood education is every child's right? I mean, that's kind of the rhetoric is yeah. that it's every child's right but yeah. will we ever
3: see a time where it's every child's right and it's free? Yeah. Oh. You know, I, I I don't know. I mean, I guess the thing is, you, we've. Got, I mean, even I guess school, you know, normal education in high school and high school education isn't isn't um, completely free, depending on, on the circumstances in in which families are in. But um, you know, I, I guess for me, it's just about trying to raise the importance of it and and the fact that for every dollar that we put into early childhood, it does actually save money down the end of the yes. track, whether it's in education. You know, you can see there's so much um, study done all around the world that talk about the, the, almost in a very bureaucratic economic way to put it, but the cost-benefit analysis or ratio for early childhood because, as you pointed out or as I've said before, you know, in terms of the best determinant for how a child will finish school is how they start then you've got more opportunities for further training, for further employment, less likely to rely on, you know, um, the social services or social welfare, less likely to go into the justice system. All of that just sort of adds up together. So, look, you know, there are discussions to, to, to be having and, you know, I certainly back as much support as we can give, but, you know, obviously I can't, can't um, you know, commit to it, to it being being free but i think making it affordable is important and that's i guess what we're trying to do we start strong we're trying to make it as affordable as we can 75 percent of the funding has to go to fee reductions we want it to be something that families can can afford easily so that their children get the benefits of it so yeah. we'll, we'll keep
2: working on it Great, because yes. the affordability is that—that yeah. is the big challenge in New South Wales. Fees are more expensive. Yeah, there's another issue as well, which is about um, educator quality, teacher mm-hmm. quality. Are mm-hmm. there, is there any thinking around support for professional development for? Um, early childhood
3: educators?
2: Yeah, look,
1: I've
3: actually literally just had a meeting with someone about that before um, Before I'm speaking to you. So I'm being, I guess, brought up to speed a little bit, being relatively new to the portfolio, although I've been here for a few months, about how that works. Obviously, pay parity is an issue that we've seen a lot in the, in the media of recent times and, um, you know, the concerns around that, which I understand, and the value for early childhood educators, I think, is really important. Um, but I guess you know, more broadly in terms of the professional development that's available, um, you know, even comparison to, say, what's in the education system mm. it's very different for early childhood. So there are issues that I'm aware of, and I guess we're just looking to see, you know, what options there might be for that going forward because it certainly is something that's raised with me.
2: Yeah, and it's, it's the, the difficulty. I mean, you've mentioned some of the tensions there, the pay parity is one, mm. and the fact then that early childhood teachers and educators aren't paid at the same Level as their school counterparts yep. means that there's a challenge in affording yeah. professional development, which you know at the moment is not yeah. there's not a great deal of it around um, available or um, at the sort of price that educators yeah. no, can is, Yeah,
3: and that's, you know, it's, it's a fair point and it's something that, you know, we need to have a look at. Yeah. Mm.
2: Um, and what about how... I mean, everybody's always got great ideas about policy <laughs> and about how... How could people um, contribute to the policy discussions and your policy thinking if they were wanting to put forward some ideas and yeah. thinking to you?
1: Well, I,
3: I, we have a really open-door policy in this office. I'm really interested to hear from anybody who's got... Um, views and ideas and I know that my department are quite um, they quite frequently have you know regular round tables and meetings and sessions they've just done well currently in the middle I think of a round right across the state where educators can come in and talk about a range of issues and they've been sort of sell out sessions which has been good to know and I've been getting feedback every day from those meetings about mm-hmm. what was discussed and what the concerns were but also what people like because it's good for me to know what's working yeah. well but also what we also need to focus attention on in terms of Areas that need improvement. So I would really encourage sort of those in the sector, any of those kind of um, you know opportunities that they hear about to be involved. But you know, get in touch with us directly. My email is available. We can contact the office through um, all the the websites. And and I try and go out like I said. I live in Gunnera, so I have to be in Sydney for Parliament and other things. But when I can be out visiting services, whether it's in the city or in the country, I love doing that. And it's I find it's the best way to actually get a real um, finger on the pulse of what's happening and talking not just to the directors but, like I said, the educators in the rooms or mm. the parents because I don't pretend to sit here in you know Macquarie Street and know all the answers to everything. I prefer to hear from people who are doing this every day who have been doing it a lot longer than I have about what we should be doing. And a lot of the feedback is pretty consistent, I have to say, so that sort of makes me realise that in some areas things are going well and the areas that we need to look at, that's a view that's probably shared... Right across the different um, services. So, what the are the sector. general things that people um, are saying to, to look at? Well, in, in terms of um, attracting staff and retaining staff, and, and particularly obviously with the um, you know, regulations around the quali- qualifications of staff, and that's probably m- not just an issue in regional areas, but more so when you don't necessarily have the training opportunities on your doorstep that you do in the city. Um, In some areas, oversupply and how we're dealing with that issue. But then in other areas, it's waiting lists a mile long that they they have problems with. And even that's an interesting um, dilemma because in some services, I was at one uh, in the city the the other day who they've got vacancies in their preschool room, but their 0-2 room has a waiting Mm. list a mile long because obviously that's where the demand is. And they said a lot of their parents work in the city and when their kids are little, they want to bring them in. With them, but once they hit um, preschool age, they actually want them to be going to a preschool in the suburbs where they live so they meet kids that they're going to go to primary school with, mm. which makes sense. But even trying to, I guess, address an issue there where you've got one specific service that has both ends of the spectrum in terms of a problem. Um, is interesting and then more broadly um more support for funding for three-year-olds is something that's raised a lot with me as well so that would probably be the top three yeah Yeah.
2: so three-year-olds is is a big issue and i mean the 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 research all shows threes and fours is a great great opportunity for getting more bang for your buck so to speak so that's something that you will be yeah look it's absolutely
3: on my radar and i I think the fact that in new south wales already we do provide support for three-year-olds as I said, from Aboriginal or low socioeconomic families. So we are, you know, have started on that path. And, and you know, I'm also cognizant of the fact for the, the year before school, the four- and five-year-olds, we're not quite at the targets we need to be at at a nationally agreed level, and that's why the majority of funding is from Start Strong is going towards those kids, and we need to improve the levels there, and I don't think anyone would argue with that. But I also want to be thinking about, well, what's next? What else can we do? What are the feeders that get the four to fives having better results? Is it... More support for three-year-olds more broadly. So you know they're the conversations that we're certainly having, and 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 I'm I'm there areas that I'm looking at. Yeah.
2: And what what are what are the sort of top things that you're working on and and your aspirations for early childhood education?
3: Yeah, I think at the moment it's the Start Strong rollout, and I don't know I keep banging on about that, but that's our focus certainly for the next. 12 months or so in the current funding system that we've got um, and getting those those levels of participation up in the year before school Um, and also, as I said, trying to have the conversation more broadly about how important early childhood education is in education, making sure my colleagues in the parliament understand that, that the community understands that that it isn't just about productivity, as I said before, it is actually about investing in kids and their future and the educational outcomes that they'll get. So I'd like to to really be a champion for that and that's what I'm trying to do. Um, and then just looking at further support going forward, what else can we be doing? You know, I think the capital works is important, creating those extra places where mm. there's demand. So, um, And then I suppose to being Aboriginal Affairs Minister as well, what support we're providing for Aboriginal kids is pretty important to me too, so...
2: Great. Right. So you, you're obviously a champion for early childhood <laughs> education. Everything that you're saying is, is that way. Um, with regard to then getting the message to your colleagues, are yep. there things that uh, the sector can do? I, I know you're talking about giving that message to the community, mm. but are there yep. things that the sector can do to support your messages to yeah. your
3: colleagues? Look, I think just being open you know, with your local members and interactions that you do have, um, you know, even different sort of service providers if there's things that they want government to know. Don't be afraid to speak up, you know, if, they're, if they've if they got views, whether it's through me or, as I said, through local MPs, at any level, I think it's important to, to let your representatives know what's important to you. But, you know, and I don't want to be disparaging. My my colleagues get it. Like, people are on, yeah. on side with what we want to do and I think a lot of people... And that's, that's a bipartisan thing, you know. I do think, generally speaking, there's um, an understanding of how important it is. But it's just about me... Yeah, I guess continually making sure that I champion what what we need to do in the sector, and that's what I'll keep doing.
2: Fantastic. So, is there anything else that
3: you'd like to tell the listeners of the Early Education Show? Um, just well for all the all those working in the sector, keep up the great work because it's really important what you do, and you know the 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 role that I think those people play on a day-to-day basis is incredibly important and um thank you as a mother for the work that you do because it's something that we see in in our daughter as i said and I know that there's a lot of goodwill and support. I think every parent that I talk to loves their service and loves their educators, and um, I think that reflects really well on the sort of people who are working in, in the industry. And um, And just as I said, my, my door's open. Please get in touch if anyone has ideas or, or anything or they want me to come visit or whatever. I'm, I'm really happy to be accessible to your listeners. So. Oh,
2: that's great. Well, that, yeah. that is actually Excellent. wonderful. People right. will be so <laughs> happy to hear that, and it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. So thank you very oh, much. love it. you. Thank you.
0: Right. Welcome back, Celiaan. Thanks for bringing that interview uh, with Sarah Mitchell. It was great to hear um, her perspectives on uh, the early childhood education system in New South Wales. Um, yeah, and she she does actually sound really passionate and committed uh, to, to to the work she does. I think the more the more you know, people we can have with that background actually in these policy making decisions. I think you know it can only lead to good things in the long run.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I think um I mean she does have a young a young child as well. Um and she's using childcare and we, we do know that these young women are often allocated these portfolios for that very reason. But I think um
0: it does yeah, give, give them it a to the chick.
2: Yeah, does but it does give them a particular perspective and, and very um oriented towards quality as
0: well. Wonderful. All right, so we'll do what we normally do after our main topic, which is look at recommendations for the week and we'll go as we normally do. Lisa, do you want to bring us yours first?
1: Yeah, look, mine's a very boring and nerd type one, but I, I just want to, because we're talking a bit about the New South Wales funding and the Start Strong, et cetera, I just want to remind people of exactly how bad... Um, it is in New South Wales in terms of preschool education so I've picked out two tables in the report on government services that I want people to look at and it just shows that mind you these are 2015 stats so they' it's from the 2017 uh, report on government services report but they're two years old because it takes them a while to collate all this statistics and publish it but it just shows that um, one of the tables that I've picked, and I've listed which two tables to look at, the median cost of a preschool program for a child in the year before school um, in New South Wales was um, uh, $4.9 for a non-government, that's a community-based preschool, per hour, $4.90 per hour, or $4.50 um, for a um, Well, let's just say $4.50 for a preschool. doesn't matter where it comes from. This compared to Victoria where a family would pay $1.90 per hour for a preschool or Western Australia $2.60, Queensland $3.60, South Australia $2.10, Tasmania $2.10, or, um, yeah, Canberra's way up there in price, but that's because it's done all differently there. So it just shows you how much more expensive um, New South Wales is than the other states. And the other table shows the proportion of children that get get a preschool education for no cost. So if we look at, um, uh, you yeah, um, know, New South Wales... We've got 2.7% of children who get a preschool education for free compared to 22% of children in Victoria, 23% of children in Queensland, 62% in Western Australia, 65% in South Australia, 58% in Tasmania and 50% in the ACT and 75% in the Northern Territory. So, whereas, you know, almost every other state has got a significant proportion of their children get a free preschool education, in New South Wales, it's only 2.7%. It's not good enough. No, that's
0: not. All right. Thanks, Lisa. Leanne, what have you got for us this week?
2: Um, Well, I I did slip in two, but they're complimentary. And... um, one is The Best and Worst Places to Be a Kid. And this is based on uh, the report, which is the Save the Children report, which comes out every year. And this one is very, very um, sadly titled The End of Childhood Report 2017 because mm-hmm. it's reflecting that some childhoods do end too soon and children um, you know, leave those childhoods behind. And it's, it's based on um, – the, there's rankings – for countries based on the sorts of things that impact on that end of childhood, such as um, children being forced into work, uh, child marriage, teenage childbearing, living in conflict. So there are all these things that actually contribute to the rankings. Now, can you guess which is the best place to be a child? Australia, Australia. (laughs) That's That's a very good guess, but it's not the best guess.
0: Can I go for the obvious one? Is it Finland?
2: Well, Finland is not. Yeah, it's not number one. It's actually number three. Norway is the um, mm. place to be. There, are, there are two. It's equal first. Norway and Slovenia, interestingly. But what about the worst place to be a kid?
0: Ooh, it's got to be something like. Is it Syria?
1: It's got to be Africa. Yeah, it's not They're actually all dying slow. in Africa.
2: Yeah, Niger and Angola and Mali are the the mm. bottom three. Australia comes in at number fourteen.
1: So we we actually do pretty well. Oh but great. Just because our still, children aren't dying that it's okay? Yeah, well, I'm just putting it
2: in the context of those things that are in the index. Less bright. Yeah, okay. so, um, but they they make the, the point in the article that it is important that save the children keep bringing this up and putting it before the public because we just can't ignore that children are living in these terrible circumstances around the world and it's it's just worth having a good look at um, that report and Get yourself a strong cup of tea before you do that because it's it's pretty tough to, to look at, yeah. but it's not as tough as living in those conditions, that's for sure. No.
0: Important to know. Mm.
2: Um
0: And mine uh, is just a quick one. It's a bit of research I stumbled across very out of date. So, this is from March, and I somehow completely missed it the first time around. But it's um, a study by the University of Melbourne that's looked at intentional, uh, sort of intentional teaching or what they call instructional teaching practices. But I like to use the word intentional teaching because that's one of the principles of the Early Years Learning Framework. And they've looked at uh, ECEC settings as well as families. And schools, um, and there are some positives, but there are also some negatives. And there's a couple of just key quotes that I wanted to quickly pull out. One was, um, the children who most need these quality moments, um, those who have more risk factors who are most disadvantaged, are the least likely to encounter programs capable of delivering them. Which I think, as a sentence, just <laughs> sums up Australia's <laughs> early childhood education system Sad. perfectly. And I will be quoting this uh, endlessly for the next however long. Um and then the report also mentioned you know that this the, the the rhetoric around early childhood and early intervention and it's important for it and its importance for a child starting well is there uh, in the policy where the planning for services is largely left to the market the result is that the most disadvantaged children live in areas where the market fails them doesn't provide them with the better quality education and care that they need so I mean just stuff I and mean, I've been thinking about it over the last little while that I think like we, we as advocates we've done quite a good We've done quite a good job of getting the importance of early learning and early intervention sort of into the public and society. So there's a lot of rhetoric, but no one just seems willing to then act on what that actually means. So I think that's the next gap we've sort of got to. We've got across, and this this report sort of highlights that quite well. But um, yeah, well worth checking out, and, and good job, uh, University of Melbourne, and uh, the, the the person who's done that is uh, Professor Professor Taylor. Uh, Professor Colette Taylor, sorry, I should say, uh, He's the chief investigator, which is a great title. I want to be a chief investigator. But um, yeah, <laughs> good, worth checking it's out. It's a good job, I think. Absolutely, I want to be you that. You could
1: be the chief investigator of the sand pits at your services.
0: Oh, I could do. I don't like sandpits. Is that a scandalous view? Do we need to have a debate <laughs> about that? But um, really, so that... I think
1: it's quite a common view, oh, actually. I've heard, you're know. about the third person I've heard this week that said that very same thing.
0: Cannot. Do you not like them. the
1: beach either, Liam? Do you I not actually, like the beach?
0: I actually don't like the beach. I. I'm 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 a fairly useless person. I'd rather just be sitting at home with a book, with the beach, It's just sand everywhere. Just just it's horrible. It's cold. Kind of, it's anyway. This is a discussion for another another time. How bizarre Liam outside. is. it's
1: outside. It's outside. It's outside.
0: There's no Wi-Fi. What about there's no
2: mud. Do you like mud?
0: No, not really.
2: No. So you don't like anything that
1: kind of is that? Nice, I got dirt no. on my hands once, and it really wasn't a pleasant experience. It, did,
0: it just didn't work. We, we're going to have to get Bushkin to dug on. Well, I think we we did hit him up on Twitter saying you're going to have to give I'm Lisa so and I. I'm worried about the two. <laughs> yeah, I, I am very
2: actually very worried about the two of you. And I think what we need to do is we need to do an early education show camping trip.
0: Oh God! Um, mm. I can
1: employer of five star hotels sometimes. Is that what you had in mind? Well, I just think yeah. you haven't had it the right way. You
2: haven't had the camp oven and the beautiful fire and the. I'm I, I'm determined to make this happen for you. All those things can happen
0: indoors, Leanne. Is my view. But anyway,
1: we're busy that weekend, aren't we? I'm busy.
0: I'm I'm <laughs> unwell. <clears throat> okay, let's. We we've gotten way off topic. So let's uh let's wrap up the show. Tonight, so this thanks everyone. Thank you for at
2: least sponsoring Triple Way <laughs> for these two. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very $5 camping.
0: So. Thanks again for tuning in. Uh, if you want to support the show, there's a couple of fantastic ways you could do that. You can rate and review us on the Apple Podcast Store. Uh, we always give anyone who chucks a review up there, we give a shout-out. We haven't done that in a little while, but um, we'll make sure we give you a shout-out on the next episode. That's really appreciated and helps other interested early childhood people and supporters find the podcast. Uh, you can also support the show directly on Patreon uh, for as little as $1 a month, and that support's really valuable because it means we can you know, get new equipment and go and look at doing a live show and... And, and means um you know I have a bit more time for you editing know, if and you producing. You're
1: talking about the live show we're actually going to have to
0: do it. <laughs> we're going to what will it into going existence. To do it? It's happening. We're we doing it. But um you can yeah. find that if you head to um if you head to our website earlyeducationshow.com up on the little menu at the top you'll see a link there that says support the show which will take you directly to our Patreon Page, So that is very much appreciated if you can do that. And thanks again to those who already have. It's it's really, really um, a wonderful thing you've done for us. We're very, very grateful. Uh, you can get in touch with the show if you've got suggestions, ideas, feedback, um, places we could go camping. Just head to earlyedushow at gmail.com. You can also find the show on Facebook and Twitter on both of those social media networks we're at early edu show if you want to track all of us down individually and why wouldn't you we are lovely charming people you can find me on twitter at liam mcnicholas
2: and me at lisa j bryant and me at leanne m gibbs three
0: and until we're back with you next week we hope you all have a wonderful week it's goodbye from me
1: and from me and from me